Well, we are breaking the regular cadence of Rector's Cupboard already here early in Season 5 and re-releasing a bonus episode. Well, it's bonus in its re-release uh, of us speaking with Julian Davis-Reed. Uh, we're re-releasing that because a couple things. First of all, it's a fantastic interview and conversation. And secondly, Julian Davis-Reed is our keynote speaker for the Reflector Project Annual Conference, which is coming next weekend, October 13th and 14th in Vancouver. Uh, the theme for the conference is vocation and rest, and uh, Julian has fantastic things to say about both. Uh, we were speaking recently just in conversation about how vocation, that sense of meaning and purpose in life, has much to do with listening, with hearing. The reminder that vocation is for all, wherever you're at in terms of religion, non-religion, uh, that a lot of our kind of peace in life is found through vocation. And Julian Davis-Reed, through his music and his uh, Notes of Rest conferences, reminds us that vocation is often found in listening and that music can help us in that listening. There's so much that we have for the conference. We have many great speakers lined up um, and lots of great content. It is in-person only. So uh, if you're in Vancouver, October 13th and 14th, and uh, would love to come, that would be great. You can register through Rector's Cupboard uh, on social media, Instagram and Facebook, or at reflectorproject.ca, and uh, you'll find uh, slash conference, reflectorproject.ca slash conference. So thanks so much. Hope you enjoy this bonus episode, this great conversation with Julian Davis-Reed. In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. Yeah. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice Whoa. whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome. To the rector's cupboard. Order. Well, after three episodes that were actually recorded on location in the summer, we're back now to more of a regular pattern for rector's cupboard and a fantastic interview this week with our guest. This is one of my, I mean, I don't want to belittle anybody else. <laughs> oh, careful. But this is Who one of my most the other favorite um, interviews ever. We've already recorded the interview some time back. Um, so we're really glad that uh, listeners get to take this in. But sitting here with Allison Hello. and Amanda. Hello. And uh, it is, as we record this, the day before American Thanksgiving. It is indeed. Things are about to get crazy. Black Friday's coming. Black oh. Friday. I mean, apparently it's already here. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It was like a, a week ago. Yeah. yeah. And everything is... Is it Boxing Day sales already as well? Black Friday is kind of like a month-long event now. Yeah. It so blends in. Are you... What should we feel about the impending season? Is it just like mm. the most wonderful time of the year? Or is it like, no, it's too busy. There's too much going on. Or is it both? I love Christmas. I do as well. I really and do. Yet. And yet. I mean, I guess it works well with this episode when we're thinking about rest and contemplation and the busyness of what's coming. Especially, I think, this year because, fingers crossed, all, all <laughs> things considered, <laughs> know? as far like as we know, <laughs> this will be a Christmas where we can all really, truly gather together if we wanted to. Yeah, first time in many years. Yeah, for us, the first time since 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here, an unrestricted like able to have, like, getting together. There hasn't been a Christmas Eve service at church or anything like that. Which probably means there'll be more Christmas parties and more events. Yeah, yeah I mean, Christmas in. Christmas for me is always uh, like that, that mixture of I, I love the season and yet I feel, I feel compelled to to do so much mm -hmm. in it. Do you get nervous about that? Like, are you, is it kind of like, oh, this is what's coming? Uh, a little bit, but there's, it's mostly just, it, it's pressure of wanting to, to balance, you know, having good experiences with my kids, giving them good experiences, but, you know, not spending more than, than we have on Christmas presents and not like, so there's, there's that pressure of wanting mm -hmm. to balance making things meaningful without being 
over consumeristic about it, but there's also just, there's a lot of, a lot of busyness. You want to have special meals or there's like particular, you know, baked goods that my family likes that kind of become routine, traditional for us at Christmas. And a lot of that now, I mean, I take some of that very much on myself, but there's a lot of that where I feel that responsibility, whether it's mm-hmm. put on there by me or by my family yeah. or so, the rest of society. So our guest for this episode is Julian Davis-Reed, and he um, he runs conferences, like workshops, yeah. um, called Notes of Rest. Notes of Rest. Um, he has an album called Rest Assured. Is that yes. am I getting that Yeah, right? he does solo work as well as he works with a jazz fusion group yeah, called so the Juju Exchange. and a like a minister theologian kind of, but he's talking a lot about rest Mm -hmm. and I'm interested uh, in even just saying this. So for people who are listening, something like it might just be possible to get some rest or to feel rest (laughs) or to know rest. Mm -hmm. And then people would right away say, but I have all this stuff to do. You sent us this article (laughs) kind of satirical (laughs) article, right? Oh, very much. Very much. Yeah. On what it's like for some parents with kids in primary school, elementary school, different names, wherever you are in the world. Um, yeah. Children in school. It's and from McSweeney's and it's entitled A Parent's Typical Day as Envisioned by My Child's Preschool. And Amanda had sent this to me a few weeks ago and it resonated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- there's just, yeah, uh, for, for myself personally, like I, I go to school, I work, I have kids. Um, and the the pressure to do well in all of those arenas and to perform in all of those arenas um is high like it, there's mm-hmm. there's never enough time there's always something to do and like one of the one of the quotes from the article is like today is a regular tuesday in the middle of a normal work week so of course it's early school dismissal i chat with the room mom while we wait for our kids and she like but it's it goes on that um yeah, it's there's like, there's a lot in the article about um, obviously time. So she shows up at school at a particular time, and as a oh parent, yeah. she's assigned mm-hmm. to one activity. But it but doesn't start for twenty five yeah, minutes. Yeah, twenty five or thirty five <laughs> minutes or something. She's like, so I can't get anything else done here. That's an interesting concept in terms of rest, like those that because there's something there, like downtime becomes a threat, like useless time. It's lost. Also, it's time that you're not going to get back. Yeah, and and so rest has something to do with time. That's all through this article, like how, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. I've got to be there for this thing. But as you, I think, rightly identify, Allison, it's not only the amount of activity and the amount of time taken, it's the expectation on particular tasks or... So there's this other article we looked at recently in Atlantic uh, Magazine. Um, I think it was called, Do You Want New Kitchen Counters or something? Do you want... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And it identified this term called displacement, spelled with a Y, like D-Y-S, displacement, which was in particularly in terms of your home. So the article was kind of about um, the uh, home improvement industry design. Yeah, like the HGTV. And how in the 90s, $90 billion was spent on that in the United States. But per year, now it's over $400 billion per year. Because it's not replacing things that are broken. It's getting rid of things that are just out of Date right. or so, aren't trendy anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so you're what, doing the color palette's all wrong. So we need yeah. to redo everything. So, we're about the cabinets. We're about the counter. So mm-hmm. what displacement went meant is the feeling not just of. So we all know what displacement with an I means, like feeling that like I'm I'm out of place here. But displacement with the Y, as the term is used in this article, is used to say you might feel okay or neutral about something in your house, but it's that fear that you know your <laughs> kitchen looked okay to you, but you have this sneaking suspicion that it might not look okay to other people. So therefore kind of rip it out. So I think the reason I'm bringing these, both these articles together up is what is it that prevents us from rest? And our guest today speaks about this really, really well. The, the idea of time, you know, and the constraints on our time, how much busyness there is, how much, but the other part is identity that I'm either, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough at this or I can't measure up in this task Mm. compared to other parents at the school Mm -hmm. or this thing has to be done in this particular way. Yeah. There's something really pressing there. And I mean, Amanda touched on it where downtime is considered unproductive and therefore there there's like almost this like immoral association with it. That if you are not being productive, 
you are not using your time yeah. wisely. Mm-hmm. Productivity could be leisure, but it has to be almost like a, an achievement well, it, of there's leisure. There's the strive like for exercise perfection. Exercise or this thing or that. Yeah, just the optics of profession. Like, like. And yet at the same time, we have binge watching. Mm-hmm. I, but I'm always I, I'm curious, I'm interested right, in the like, binge watching that is uh, also accompanied by kind of doom scrolling at the same time. So people are watching and holding their phone. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's a form of escapism. Like when, when you're in, um, so much of our life functions in needing to respond to a text right away, respond to an email right away, have pressure to do this project, get that done, that binge watching something is almost like this like revenge of I can sit here and consume mass amounts of something that is unproductive and kind of like to avenge the time during my day that I don't get to actually I rest. wonder if some of it too is that when Julian talks a little bit about this, like you you push until you collapse. Yeah. Um, and the binge watching where you're sitting on the couch and like back to back to back is a bit of that collapse. Oh yeah. Right. It's where indicative you're of just, that. It's not healthy. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's not even necessarily like a conscious act of defiance, but our brains can't, it's not like you can just go sleep, which is probably what would be more productive actually giving yeah. yourself actual rest. I, it's, I think it's of, dead. I think of the people listening to this right now and, and I'm now kind of, relating my own experience. If I listen to podcasts or audiobooks or something, I often will think, oh, I can listen to that while I get something done. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, in, in many ways, I think I listen better. There, there, is some, there is some evidence that that can, if you're just doing gardening or something and listening to a it's book. It's the thing that you're you doing, might though, actually I think, that listen matters. Better. Yeah. So I think there's something there. And, mm-hmm. and so for those listening, it'd be interesting <laughs> to consider what are you doing. Are you gardening you know, right you now? Cleaning right your now? kitchen? You're probably not just sitting there. I would yeah. imagine you're driving or doing something else. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of we're talking about like having hopeful faith or hopeful theology, and certainly our guests, that's where concepts of rest are coming from. It's not simply kind of, you know, having a, a break, which it is, but there's something to do with identity. And there's yeah. this promise, this promise of faith, right? And f- so for us in Christian faith, this, the thing that is promised is rest. And Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and I will give you rest, rest for your soul. That's the kind of rest that our guest is going to speak with us about. It yeah. doesn't mean you have to, you know, be Christian to experience that or to be offered that or to receive that. But there's a, a much, you know, there's a depth to this that does speak, I think, to both of those areas, the, the demands on our time yeah. and the demands on our identity. Some of the most restful people that I know are not necessarily the least busy. <laughs> no, but I think there's part where it's understanding what what is restful. Right. And there's also part where if I think I've found myself feeling like this, that I get so so caught up in the anxiety of and the pressure of doing stuff. Like there's always stuff that needs to be done that it can be hard that when I'm actually sitting and supposedly resting, I'm not actually resting because I feel bad about stopping. I think what where, helped me with what, Julian talked about was reframing our understanding of rest because for a lot of people we think it's sleep or napping Mm -hmm. and there's so much more Mm -hmm. that is restful Um, and that can vary from person to person one person may find a nap to be the perfect rest but for others it's it's something different. Yeah I mean I think of I can you know you can imagine you you could you could go talk to somebody meet with somebody who actually doesn't have much in their schedule at all those people Mm -hmm. exist like you Mm -hmm. know there's lots of people who complain because they don't know that many people and have that much to do. And certainly as people age, there can be, you know, a difficulty mm-hmm. with like mm-hmm. there's, and so you can, you can picture speaking with somebody who actually doesn't have a lot necessarily to do or a lot of pressing demands. And yet that doesn't mean they feel restful though. You can speak to somebody in that kind of circumstance and they might very mm-hmm. much feel restful. Same thing with the, with the busyness thing. Like yeah. obviously you can't just fill every minute of every day with stuff or there'll be a struggle to rest. But um, you can you can have a full calendar and well, know what it means ways. to yeah. mm-hmm. to rest. And I think, as you're saying, he's bringing us to another dimension of what this means. And I think there's so, I mean, we all three of us, there's so much here <laughs> for us to consider. We're really excited about um, keeping this relationship um, with Julian as he was, uh, you guys met him. I, I didn't mm-hmm. meet him in yeah. person. We did this interview. He's in Chicago when we did this. But you met him here in Vancouver. And uh, at Rector's Cover here, we hope to keep this relationship going and have him come and speak at some stuff for us. And 
uh, because this really, really is good. So yeah. those who are listening, enjoy this conversation and the, the beginning of speaking about rest and the gift that it is yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. And as we go into this interview, uh, we are actually going to be able to listen to some of Julian's music right. before we start. Fantastic. So yeah. hopefully it puts you in like a nice mindset to enjoy the interview. A so that's coming state. That's coming now. Right now. Right now. We are super pleased to be joined today by Julian Davis-Reed, um, Allison, who you met out at VST yeah. not that long ago. and uh, Really great event. Julian, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, great to speak with you. Julian Davis-Reed is an artist theologian who uses words and music to invite us into the restful life that we were created to live. A pianist, producer, and composer, Julian is a founding member of the jazz electronic fusion group, the Juju Exchange, with Nico Segal and Nova Zai. And Julian hosts contemplative retreats called Notes of Rest. Julian has performed and spoken throughout, uh, throughout the United States and around the world, and he's released three studio albums, the latest being Rest Assured, which I've been listening to lately. It, and It's great. I mean, it's, um, go buy it. It's beautiful. A collection of hymns, solo piano. Uh, Julian has worked with Chance the Rapper, Jennifer Hudson, Peter Cottontail, and Derek Hodge. He's also He also is an artist in residency through City Seminary of New York. Uh, Julian earned his MDiv at Candler School of Theology at Emory University and his BA in Philosophy at Yale University. He and his wife, Carmen, are based in his hometown of Chicago. Julian, welcome. Thank you so thank much you, you. for taking the time hey. to have this conversation with us. Oh, what a joy. Good to be here at Rector's Cupboard. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, as uh, as Todd was saying, uh, how how I uh, met you was through um, you did the the Notes of Rest retreat at Vancouver School of Theology, where I'm a student, um, and I just loved it so much. So I'm so grateful that we can bring some of what you've got there to a uh, uh, well, whatever wider audience we may be able to yeah, provide. You, you know, when you have that, that realization with whatever it is, it can be music mm-hmm. and theology can be You're like, other people like, need to know this. Oh, there are people doing this. That is so good. <laughs> people, yeah. Anyway. So, thank so you. we are so, so grateful that, that you've come to talk to us today. Um, and one of the things when, when I'm kind of looking, looking at, at what you do and how you do it, like you've, you've got a lot of, 
things going on. You've got, you're an artist with solo work. You have a jazz fusion group. Uh, you're also a speaker and a leader of conferences and um, contemplative retreats. Um, and what I can see looking at the various threads of, or the various kind of works is, is some common threads that, that are weaving through all of these things. Um, yeah. I noticed it particularly with your solo work and your retreat work and, and that thread is rest. Like rest is, mm-hmm. is like your thing. It's very important mm-hmm. to you. Um, mm-hmm. and I, it's a little bit unique, I think in, in the context that we are currently in. And so I'm curious and I'm interested about how, how you ended up focusing so much of your work on rest. Like, how did you get to have this be your thing? That's a great question. Allison, Todd, it's such a joy to be here. And to all the listeners, thank you for tuning in. So rest became a central piece for my thinking, for my understanding of vocation, for my work, because of what happened in the pandemic. So during the pandemic, I was noticing the great antonym of rest, restlessness, rife throughout the American context where I am here in Chicago, but then also around the world and seeing people boxed up at home, antsy, figuring out what to do with their jobs. The great resignation started Mm -hmm. also during that time. And then, of course, in the U.S. context, the continued pandemic of anti-blackness, which came to a head with the George Floyd murder and all the protests surrounding that. And then that was leading to ripple effects throughout the world, profound restlessness, people feeling it in their homes, perhaps for the first time, people seeing it in public space, perhaps for the first time, even though it had been there for a long time. And then there was this powerful contrast of that observation with the moment I had this solo concert. I had been asked to do a solo concert online. And so I did it for the Yale Club of Chicago. It was great. Played solo piano and was doing fables and loved <laughs> that. And it was fun. But it was in the Q&A afterwards, Allison, when one of my former professors from Candler was on and she said, Julian, your playing is so restful. That's when I started to perk up. And I found that an ironic statement to make because, one, there was great restlessness around us. It was November 2020, no vaccines in sight. I'm feeling also personally restless because I'd gone to seminary thinking I was to be a local pastor or perhaps a professor and systematics, but that didn't feel right. And then I had music, but then so much had been sidelined by virtue of the pandemic. So I'm feeling restless in all these ways. How do I put together my theological training with my musical formation to then have a fulsome witness in the world? That was the main question haunting me. So for her to say on this call, Julian, your playing is so restful, forced me to take stock of my sound as teacher. And so the pandemic's made a place for me to really think about my sound. Parker Palmer, the great mystic, has this book called Let Your Life Speak. And when I read it, at first, it didn't make sense or it seemed very matter of fact. Obviously, okay, you have a life, you live it, listen to it. But the genius of that book really started to emerge in the midst of that pandemic when I started to listen to the fact that always core to my playing, always core to my movement was a desire to bring about rest for me and others. And so that's when it started to emerge. And then months later, after getting involved with theological education between the times and doing other kinds of interactive workshops online, I started to realize, what if I put together a space in which I created conversation around rest and playing around rest? And what if that centered on the musical concept, musical rest? You know, musical uh, rests are so key to the sound. Mm. And Jeremy Begbie, the great theologian Mm -hmm. out of Duke, makes a great point that music doesn't make any sense if you don't have the rest in between. And of course, Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk talk about the fact that great solos, great musicians, great improvisers in jazz know what not to play. And so coming from all these different angles, from my black tradition, lineage and jazz, coming from uh, systematicians like Jeremy Begbie and the like, I started to realize there's a lot to be said aesthetically and theologically about the fact that we need the rest alongside the notes. And so notes of rest was born. No, that's, that's great. It's, I just love how (laughs) there's, there's something so hopeful in that for so many people in terms of vocation and stuff too. Right. You mentioned Mm. 
thinking you'd be a pastor or systematic theology professor or something and and then something is opened up to you that is you <laughs> yeah and yes so for people to hear that they might not be someone who is a musician and a theologian but that vocational calling so anyway thank you that's right no thank you Tata. that's a great place for grace it's yeah. a site of grace and to receive that from somebody else a lot of what i've discerned about myself and music has come from listening closely to other people's heartfelt observations about me my wife was the first to say that, Julian, the happiest I see you is when you play. Hmm. I had never heard that before. And now, since having heard that from her, <laughs> I hear that from others. Yeah. But she was saying that, and she's a physician, you know, and so she could have been of the mind, Julian, you know, we're married, you got to do the finance thing that you once thought you were going to do or be a lawyer like your dad or, yeah. you know, kind of beat down the paths that yeah. are so conventional coming out of our kind of school. We both went to Yale and yet she was, I'm so thankful. I mean, she has been a conduit of grace in my life uh, in that she has seen my back and you, we know that you can't see your back. You can't see uh. your eyes. Um, but she has seen my back. She has seen my eyes. She's seen my forehead. And in the midst of all of that seeing, she's been able to give observations alongside others that I've responded to. And my music is better for it. That's, uh, and, and I think you're young. I mean, and <laughs> yes. to, to <laughs> 31, yeah, 31, yeah, these vocational so things, <laughs> there's also hope there's, I, such hope with, with, you know, younger generations with, mm -hmm. um, these vocational questions, you know, so many young people can't answer their their kind of career, money, vocational things in the way that have have happened over the last few generations or a number of generations. Yes, and to see an example of someone at your age, uh, the hope that that can provide to so many others. But anyway, thank you to. Elsa. Oh man, you're welcome. It's it's no. been a joy to be on that journey. No, I find I find it really encouraging and 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 beautiful how you describe this this journey and this this openness to, to seeing both what, what is needed in, in yourself and in, in the larger community and seeing what, where your joy can, can help fill that. Uh, I think it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and so one of the things that you're doing out of that is, um, these notes of rest retreats. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about them. Like it's one of the things I'm a little curious, like, what sort of organizations are are going? Oh, we need to make sure that we're bringing in a guy to talk about rest to us. <laughs> like, I, I think that's amazing, but I'm trying to like pin. It's who, only who's it's doing only it. mega churches. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll let you. Oh, too soon, Todd. Too soon. <laughs> yeah, funny. Uh, yeah. So notes of rest is a practice of contemplation and creativity that moves us towards the rest. We were created to receive. And I am intent on calling it a practice more than a project, more than a program mm -hmm. or even a ministry, because even though it is all of these, at the end of the day, I ultimately want it to be a practice for me and for others. So the retreats are meant to be episodes or summits or moments that help realign and reinscribe the idea that we were made to rest and not just when we need to collapse. What modernity has conditioned us yeah. for is a mode of moving that moves us from working usually to the point of exhaustion and then collapsing. And so we take out the margin in terms of our energy reserves. We take out the margin in our schedules, margin in finances. In America, a lot of people still live paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And this is then, of course, exacerbated when you start heaping on other kinds of pressures, such as um, race, that then makes it even harder for folk who are black, um, mm. folk who are non-white in general, but particularly black, to then find margin, to then find space, to find all of this. And yet, all of us still need to sleep. So one thing I talked about when I was at Vancouver School of Theology in my lecture on this was that one of the reasons Notes of Rest emerged was out of my time studying political philosophy in which Thomas Hobbes writes in the book Leviathan about how not even the king can defend himself when he sleeps. So even though Le uh, Leviathan, the logic of it is to move, 
this big old argument towards why we should have an absolute monarch. And this was the case of for uh, Hobbes at the time he was writing in Imperial England. But he's writing during that time, trying to make that case, and yet still has to note that even the king can be stabbed by his men when he sleeps. And so this kind of deep anxiety that's present in society, he puts his finger on and then speaks to how we have systems and laws and means of putting security systems on our houses so that we can defend ourselves when we are otherwise most defenseless. And so Notes of Rest emerges out of this logic that we're always living on the specter of threat, under the specter of threat, and we're living always kind of under this looming presence of death. And black folk know this better than mm. most, just because of how death is so part and parcel of black existence and modernity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually it, it, it's life. It, we may it, have a garbage truck drive. It by actually complements <laughs> it complements your answer well, actually. Just oh the, wow! You know what I mean? No, That's, just the, yeah. the noise that yeah, the kind of yeah, exact right, exactly. So you know, black life is always situated within this precarity, and yet. I saw in the South when I was in Atlanta and certainly up here in the North, I'm back in Chicago. I saw black folk find ways of resting with music, with jokes, with the ways of we gather in fellowship and just hang and shoot the breeze and all these things that we do, even while we're joking about dying or we're, you know, somebody has been killed or somebody's gone their way to a funeral or something like this. There's so much death around us. And yet there's so much joy that still defines our existence. So at stake for me in Notes of Rest with this practice is how can we have contemplation means of focusing and also creativity means of making that allow us to move towards the rest we were created to receive, knowing that we have models like my enslaved ancestors or black folk currently who are still dealing with all kinds of wakes of slavery. We have all this still present and thus are in systems of restlessness that we're going to find rest in the midst of. This is part of the gospel, and it's such a dope way to connect yeah. uh, what's happening historically with what I see happening theologically. And so that's where I play from, and that's what I play for. So is there a note of, like, um, almost defiance in finding that rest to some of the, you know, the the dominant culture, some of the oppressive type of things, just like <laughs> yeah. finding rest anyway? Yeah, exactly. And... And knowing what's your load, knowing where you can release, find relief yeah. is important. I've certainly learned a lot about this from black women who've modeled this in my life personally, uh, but then also thinkers who are doing this. There are a few that come to mind. One is Trisha Hershey, who might be known to y'all as the Nap Bishop. She has this oh, yeah, whole right. project yeah. called the Nap Ministry, yes. funnily enough, the Nap Okay, so you've heard of the Nat Ministry. Yeah. yeah, so the Nat so the Nat Bishop is also an alum of Candler. So she went to my ah. seminary before I went. So but we've never met. And I, so I'm hoping you know that, that <laughs> they'll come. Sure if you're listening come to, to this, Trish. Yeah. Trish. Yeah, that, that will happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so she's but she's been a huge influence, and I'm just so thankful to her from afar for how she's influenced my thinking on this and what she's done to kind of speak about how we can situate ourselves in a defiant way against all mm. the grinding. I mean, the word grind literally talks about disintegration. I mean, something is not ground into wholeness. Something is ground to be broken apart. So the fact that we've taken this word that comes from black cats who had to sell drugs or who were trapping or who were living in the hood and hustling to make ends meet. Well, they were doing that. And sadly, they were living out this kind of disintegration because of all the ways that non, uh, non-life or death has come yeah. our way. So that word has gone from that subculture and has now been ballooned yeah. into a word that folks say all the time, which ironically just puts salt in the wound of the fact that we live in this disintegration. So so, yes, I think rest is defiant, um, and it was defiant in Scripture, too, for yeah. the Israelites to be able to come out of Egypt, uh, the Hebrew slaves that would become Israel, for God to liberate them. Yeah. And, I mean, God defies our expectations all the time by Genesis 1 being what it is. After six days of phenomenal productivity, if we want to use post-industrial <laughs> age language, uh, phenomenal productivity from God, God rests. So... 
so good. I take my cues from that. And, yeah. And the promise, rest for your soul. There it yeah. is, Matthew 11. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it all testifies to the fact. And Matthew, like you just quoted, Genesis 1, but then also Hebrews 4 talks about this telos of life that we move into the final rest of God. And so the encouragement for communities now, congregations now, is for us to hold each other together such that we may move obediently into that final rest that God has promised. So, I, I mean, it's it's yeah. replete in the scriptures, and I'm trying to live that in my life. And, and I love that you mentioned that eschatological connection to, to what yes. you're doing. We'll get to cut the many of the theologians who have <laughs> who have influenced you and continue to influence you in a few minutes here. I wanted to ask, um, one of the other things I've picked up in your work is the connection between rest and creativity, mm, which yes. is just uh, so that rest is not distraction, Right, mm-hmm. like it's not collapse as you name it. It's not kind of finding those ways to simply disconnect into kind of um, avoid. Um, yeah. But there's this creativity. Tell us a bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so I love going to Genesis one and seeing that God creates in six, rests in one, and that we're meant in per Exodus twenty to imitate that in ourselves with creating in six, resting in one, and then there's all kinds of research. So that's kind of a biblical outline of that from the biblical text. But then you see. In all kinds of research now, uh, a great book is called Rest, uh, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. So in that book by Alex Sujung Kim Pong, he talks about how resting from your work is, has been part and parcel of a lot of the great scientific mm-hmm. and artistic and even political innovations of recent centuries. Now, it's not often enshrined by what we have today from leaders, which is why a lot of his anecdotes don't come from modern day leaders, because oftentimes what's enshrined in C-suite culture is being compulsive on your phone all day, never taking a break, you know, and then you see all the kinds of collapses that come from that. So he has to go back for a lot of his research. Mm. And he looks at the Darwins and the the Winston Churchills, the Tony Morrisons, and he's looking at the ways that these different great leaders, great figures, figure out different ways of pausing from their work so as to then become more creative for what they have to do. One of the great examples is Eisenhower during the Second World War had this little house where he would go and not invite anybody. And you were not allowed to talk shop when you were there. And he would just go and and read fables or sleep and play games and chill, quote unquote. But it allowed him to have this space apart to then become more creative when he came back to do all that he needed to on the war front. And I found that fan like so crazy because in my mind, of course, anybody in that harrowing time was just working obsessively. By contrast, Adolf Hitler tried as hard as he could to stay up for as many days straight as he could right before he died. So here you have Eisenhower on one hand taking rest and going off in this house. And then you have Hitler on the other hand. And that's an example. Other examples abound chemists, physicists, a lot of people who end up are uh, people who've worked in great medical breakthroughs. We've had many of those breakthroughs come as a result of them taking walks and then getting realizations yeah. while they were walking. Yeah. Um, so even yeah, those small so that, spaces, right? For some reason, the kind of thing you're talking about, I, an image comes into my mind and it's that, you know, um, we used to sit at bus stops. <laughs> and if you were sitting at a bus stop, uh, in you you would just sit there. You, know, you, you might see an ad, you might read an ad. I mean, but such a, it's such a strange concept now because, of course, you're going to take your phone yeah, your out phone, and start reading yeah. or doing things. or, And that that, that space is, is a space of creativity, too. So, yes, uh, 100%. Yeah. Some of the best creativity comes on the other side of being bored. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to convince my kids of that. And it's, it's a little harder. My, my, my 10-year-old has, has recently taken up the flute. And she'll, like, practice. I'm like, is, just, just practice a little bit more. Just practice a little more. She's like, I'm bored. I'm like, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I think wow. we need to reclaim boredom a bit. My God, that's a sermon, right? That's a sermon series. <laughs> that's a sermon that series. Made you, yeah. That made you drive down all your numbers. boring sermons. <laughs> the, I, I feel convinced of that. The sermon series is, it's okay to be bored. Yeah, I don't know how many people would Just go. lay the ground yeah. real low at that point. <laughs> um, one of the things that was really striking to me in your presentation that, that I went to was, was you talk about how, how we kind of traditionally think of rest and, and that you, you call for, for even a reimagining of, of that word, 
the that that rest as we may traditionally understand it, being able to take a vacation, being able to get, you know, eight hours of sleep a night or what yes. have you, that, yes. that that's a privilege and not everybody yes. can do that. But you you do argue that everybody can rest. And yes. I, I'd love like, I, yeah, it was it was kind of a little like an epiphany moment for me. So yes. I, I'd love for yes. you to, to tell us a bit about these other, like the ways that you can find rest. Yes, thank you for bringing this up. This is such an important note for me. Because I think, sadly, a lot of what I've seen in rest discourse has been fairly classist and allows people to cloak the fact that middle class folk, I mean, just the people I was referencing, Churchill, Darwin. I mean, these cats are walking around, white dudes walking around, taking time, kind of organizing life around the way that they want. And then often the literature I've read, again, notwithstanding the black women I was just talking about, but a lot of literature I've read has been from white men saying, you need to rest, you need to get your eight hours in or else you're going to have dementia. So it's another burden, Uh, another task. That's right. That's right. And then it just kind of dangles a carrot further and further away. And so it's not to say that we shouldn't be sleeping. I mean, the studies are clear that we're in a sleep epidemic. You know, a lot of us are very comfortable and even celebrate under sleep. So I'm not saying that that's a problem. But what I am noting is that if I'm a sing- I'm not a single mother with three kids, <laughs> but if I'm a single black mom on the South side and I have three kids and you're telling me to sleep more yeah. when I have to work three jobs to keep food on the table for that, yeah. that ends up becoming tone deaf and can be irrelevant. And so part of what I'm doing is resourcing the based on the ways I've seen people find means of rest that expand the notion of it. And it's not just one that I do because of these anecdotal needs of now. It's also one that you see in scripture. So not only do you have sleep, not only do you have the Sabbath, again, these are gifts from God. So I pray that we move towards that. But then you also have resting from war. So in the beginning of Joshua, Joshua says to the people, of Israel, when we move into the promised land, and I know that's a contentious claim, but when we move into the promised land, the land will have rest from war. And so what I found so powerful is to see that war, ongoing conflict, is also a kind of restlessness, which can be good, but also can be something that we even need to pause from. So one of the main things I talk about is how do you need to rest from war? So you may not be sleeping all through the night. You may not have this and that and third, but are there conflicts that people are luring you into, tempting you, tantalizing you, saying you need to be a part of, to be on the right side of history, et cetera, that you actually just need to pause from, either permanently or at least for a time? In our age of social media activism and all the ways we feel we need to be involved in everything, Thomas Merton's line is so helpful, where he says, to overcommit, to give yourself over to every single cause, is to succumb to the violence of our age. And that's just such an important point. And so that's one kind of rest, resting from conflict. Another kind of rest that we see is resting in purpose. And so in Hebrews 4, like I was saying earlier, the writer is saying to the congregation, if the community stays together, because people started to stray and, you know, they were needing meat, but they were just getting milk and all this language that's going on in the book of Hebrews um, that suggests waywardness. If people stayed the course, then as they move towards the final rest, they'll actually run it, will run into it. But if you harden your hearts, the text says in Hebrews 4, you harden your hearts to God's voice, then you're going to miss the fact that God's rest is present then and also present now. So keep your heart supple is, an, is one of the main um, teachings of that passage. The communal purpose that's possible for people now, one where they listen and hold each other accountable, hold them steady, draw them closer to God, help them see, help them discern. That's another kind of restfulness that we can have. But what I saw in seminary were all these narratives of decline in the mainline yeah. churches. Yep. And I've also been connected and am connected to evangelical churches. Yeah. And it's the same. It's everywhere. Across the board. Yeah. It's everywhere. You know, you it, churches are declining. People are grasping for straws. Now, the black response, and Allison, you and I were talking a little bit about this. Black folk, there's just not been the need to kind of turn it into a kind of Christian nationalism, as I've seen from white folk. Mm -hmm. And so there's a kind of rest that black folk have in their sense of communal purpose. Um, And I saw this during the Trump era too, when I was in the South and, you know, Dylan Roof had shot up a black uh, church in South Carolina and black churches were being burned. And then you have that on top of all the more run of the mill forms of black oppression, you know, diabetes and everything else. 
And I saw churches holding together, singing the songs of Zion, praising, um, figuring out ways to care for the young amongst them and the elderly. And I saw the kind of peace that surpassed understanding. So this too is a kind of rest. Um, But in this place that atomizes us, this place that individualizes all of our intentions and privatizes the goods and socializes all the evils, that's in America at least. Um, Yeah, we got that here too. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, we're misery loves company. So uh, in, in in this context, that can be a form of restlessness. Allison, if you're over there, Todd, if you're over there, if I'm over here, then we can be restless separately. Mm. And yet part of what we see in the logic of scripture from the Sabbath keeping uh, in the Old Testament and then also in the New is the logic of actually resting together. That's beautiful. So I'm hearing like, and I, you know, I know from, I can anticipate when you're at uh, running a retreat, playing, playing your music and having somebody say like, it's so restful. It's so... That you know, or even in a conversation like this, that communal, that sense of communal purpose becomes restful when you know it's there, right? Like you just mm. like, oh, okay, yeah, this is okay it. now. This is, but as you're speaking there, I hear echoes of like many of the or some of the those who informed you theologically that you've mentioned yes. to us. Um, so particularly when you're speaking about the black experience and the kind of, um, I just hear and I can't point to like a quota, but I hear like the stuff I've read from Howard Thurman. Oh, um, the calls, these hopeful calls in the midst of the reality that's being spoken about, right? So uh, maybe just tell us a bit, like we've got some of the names here, Makoto Fujimura, Howard Thurman, Barbara mm-hmm. Holmes, and others who, you know, it sounds just like, it could sound to somebody, you know, they pick up your your album, download your and they're <laughs> listening, hey. they, they're just listening to, you know, <laughs> Blessed Assurance, or blessed. but for you, you're, these voices are in there too, right? That's right, that's right, that's right. Um, yes, so yes. tell us a little about that, the theological formation yes. towards what you're doing. Thank you. So when I was in seminary, I had the time of my life, y'all, it was just yeah. mad fun, you know, <laughs> just, oh, what's this, pastoral care, oh, what's yeah. this, church history, <laughs> oh, the patristics, oh, the reformers, <laughs> oh, wow, and the Catholic counter-reformation, oh, man, uh, Hebrew, Greek, why not? So is this you at know, Yale? All, is this at Yale? This is at Emory. Oh, at uh, Emory, okay, right, Yeah. Course. So, so I Yale, took, you I, were, of course, you weren't at the, okay, got it. Yale was right, philosophy. But, that's right. Correct? Yeah. yeah. Correct, Yale was philosophy. Ah. I did some religious studies and had many a friend up at the Div School, but ended up going to Atlanta for seminary, right. to Emory. And uh, so it, it was just tons of fun. I mean, I just I really enjoyed my time um, there. And I came across people like Howard Thurman yeah. and subsequently after school came across Barbara Holmes uh, or read James Cone. Yeah. And yeah. I read Confessions by Augustine and yeah. I read all kinds of texts by thinkers uh, who were helping me start to figure out what was the unifying thread for my sense of music and my sense of theological study. And it took me some years after school to figure it out. The real deep point was contemplative formation. Mm. That's what I was really scratching the itch of throughout my time in school contemplative formation through music which for black folk has always been a side of contemplation and barbara holmes is really Mm -hmm. good on that in her book joy unspeakable and howard thurman's really big on that in his book called deep river about the negro spirituals so contemplative formation happens in music and then contemplative formation also happens in how you respond to what it is you're learning uh, in theological study one thing that was exciting to me, but also disturbing to me, was that what you were studying was really forming you. And mm-hmm. yet, it seemed like that was a question people weren't often asking enough. <sighs> this actually came from one of the, um, this came from one of the thinkers, the professors during our orientation. He said, I wish we would teach you about theology of technology, but we're probably not. And he <sighs> said that at the begin before my MDiv started. Yeah, like an apology. And- an apology yeah, before the whole exactly. thing. <laughs> and man, sadly, he was right. And But that comment kind of triggered for me. This is uh, Dr. Kraftchik. Stephen Kraftchik said that in our orientation. And it just got me thinking about how your education forms you. And so uh, the formation can move you towards anxiety, can move you towards restlessness. It also can move you towards haughtiness. So another professor for me who's big, a thinker, is uh, Willie James, 
Jennings. Yeah, we've he, talked to him. We we've like interviewed him, him here before he's too. Lovely. Yeah, because he, he, he's visited uh, yeah. Vancouver. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a hero of mine. And in the intro of his book, The Christian Imagination, he laments how theological education yeah. can create real fracture and fragmentation in people and between people. He yeah. calls it commanding heights that people gain education. And then they're able to look down from on high and say, oh, you're a Calvinist, so I don't really rock with you. Oh, you went to this school. You went to Gordon-Conwell, right? I, I, Julian took, I took some courses at Gordon-Conwell before I came to Candler. And one of the things that was fascinating, because most people didn't know I studied it all at Gordon-Conwell. I didn't finish, but I took classes there. And so I, come, I came to Candler already kind of hip to the evangelical mainline feud. Right. And I could see the commanding heights issue yeah. living out that people weren't actually learning what they were learning on either side of the aisle to move forward in love. They were learning often what they were learning to become more imperial. Yeah. And so that then shaped me in my thinking to move in a different kind of way. Uh, so Howard Thurman was helpful. James Jennings, Willie James Jennings, um, Barbara Holmes, phenomenal work on contemplation in black life. Uh, and then Mako Fujimura is the last yeah. I'll say on this short list. Actually, there's another one, Jürgen Moltmann. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Mako, Mako Fujimura was really helpful because he was helping me understand the way music was a means of announcing the new eschatological age. That what Christ had done and is doing in the recreation of creation by saying the kingdom is here and it's not yet. The reign of God has come and is coming. We live in that, can participate in that, in what we make. And that has been so helpful for me to really ground my musical practice as a means of bearing eschatological witness to what God is doing. Now, the last thinker on this front is Moltmann, Jürgen Moltmann, who writes in The Coming of God, Christian Eschatology. He writes in this book about how we are, there are two kinds of future we can think of. And this is a big issue for Christians. One kind of future is the futurum. Futurum speaks to what, based on my past and present, is coming in the future. You know, stock market, for instance, great example. Uh, Adventist is another kind, which is about you receiving something coming to you from the future. Hmm. Momon's got this beautiful sense of multiple temporalities that happen in Christian reflection, Christian witness um, that he has working here. And with those senses of time that are working together, he's able to say, yo, there's a world that God is bringing. We know not of it, but we receive it and can participate in responding to the grace. So this is very much also like Bart and how Bart defines sin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, Moltmann's got this hip idea around receiving God's grace, God's gracious presence and responding in kind. And one way we can receive it is in the rhythm, he says, the rhythmicization of Sabbath, the weekly routine of resting is also a way of bearing witness to the world to come. This, of course, comes from old Jewish um, thinking, not only in scripture, but Midrash, yep. around what Sabbath means. But we have this now, too, in what Christians can bear witness to with Christ's coming. So all those cast together, swirling together, thinking about rhythm of rest versus yeah. rhythm of restlessness, thinking about commanding heights and imperialism, thinking about the eschatological age being announced by creating thinking about black life and music as a means of contemplation and also thinking about how there's this deep sense of knowing and unknowing that black folk are going through that Thurman talks about in deep river whereby the spirituals are a way of us speaking from this place of sorrow into a place of hope and thus resisting and defying the restlessness imposed upon us by the transatlantic slave trade in all of modernity. I just, like, there's so much there, and that's why I asked the question, too. And then I can hear kind of the the rhythm of, like, on your on your recording, Blessed Assurance. Just that, you know, hear it, you know what I mean? Like, the, <laughs> you, can, you give us that answer, and I, I need to hear all of that, and then just listen to this. Uh, yes, piece. yo, that's it, Todd, yeah. that's it. Because I just said a whole lot, you know, yeah. that's a... Yeah. A book, I guess, you know, yeah. something. <laughs> uh, and I, so I'm working stuff out. But Dangerous. but then also, yes, let me just play. Please. Uh, 
Thank you so much, Julian. That's so beautiful. I mean, for, for listeners, that is a very small sample of what you may receive if you can find yourself at one of Julian's Notes of Rest uh, retreats, or if you happen to be at an organization wondering, like, yeah. I, I, I can highly recommend it. And it, it's so much better than, <laughs> than you think. It, it's just, I, I mean, uh, a bit of a personal note about, about that retreat is like, it was, yeah, it was, it was really one of the more formational things in, in the last while for me in the fact that I had to stop for a while. Like I, I, I took uh-huh. a half day off of work, which wow. I, I, I turned to Todd and I said, Todd, I think I want to do this thing, but it's going to mean that I'm going to have to miss work. And he's like, are you really asking me for permission? I'm like, I don't think so. Cause I think you're fine with this. I think I need to like <laughs> be okay with this myself. And wow, like it was, it was so like, it, it's like balm for your soul. Like it's, it's like you get this, this beautiful taste of, of, as you say, like the rest that you're created to receive. And mm. it's, mm. I, I'm mm. so appreciative of, of the work that you do. And I'm so appreciative that there there's there's so much intention with with your work and there's so much care and thoughtfulness behind it and it comes across like as as like a participant in in one of your treats and listening to your music there there is so much care <laughs> that mm, you give you. in one sense it, it made me a little bit concerned about you because I'm like that that <laughs> That makes me Julian, feel, when do you get ready? Well, yeah, no, right. there, there is part where I do go, What's like, your you're, you're, wellness really, routine? you're really busy. And, and I do understand, like, you talk about how, you know, your wife has identified that that you you were the happiest when you're playing. But that doesn't mean mm. that that's some sort of, like, effort neutral thing for yes. you. Yes, like, 100%. I can only yeah. imagine the amount of time and effort that goes into creating something like this on your end. I think of all mm-hmm. the books that you've read and all the, like, the yes. conversations that you're engaging with. Like, how do you yourself find rest? Thank you for asking that. It's a very caring question. So I take a pretty hard Sabbath. Uh, some days it has to move around. But f- I mean, for the most part, I take a day a week where I spend it intentionally in community with out any screens now if they provide screens i guess i can't help that we Mm want to see a movie or something fine but in terms of my phone in terms of my computer not any of it so it really allows me to move into a different kind of uh modality and when i first started i had to repeat to myself i am not enslaved to this Mm. which is an important statement because it actually is a kind of enslavement in terms of our addictions, in terms of how often people feel they need to be on it and how close the phone needs to be to them. And of course you look at it as soon as you wake up, why wouldn't you? All of these ways that it serves as master over us mm-hmm. can go without question unless you pause. So that's one thing I try to do um, consistently. I also practice notes of rest throughout the day where I'm just checking in with myself mm-hmm. and asking questions. You know from what place am I doing X, Y, Z? Am I doing this from a place of anxiety? Am I doing this from a place of rest? How can I help somebody else rest today? So that's a question I have here first and foremost with my wife. How can I help her rest, especially in the throes and woes Mm. of being a resident um, physician? And then I also am mindful of what I take in even. So just the kinds of conversations I participate Mm. in online. Again, this is resting from war, you know, resting yeah. from that kind of conflict. So all of these are ways that I practice rest and I uh, have a, you know, fairly involved meditation and prayer journaling routine in the mornings and exercise. So mm-hmm. personal communal forms of rest. I love playing basketball. Oh yeah. Uh, the, list, <laughs> the list goes on. Yeah. The, um, and then we haven't t- touched upon the jazz fusion like no the no there's jazz so much fusion. still that we could talk about because <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask about that because i watched a couple of things online right and the bringing together of jazz electronic the like visual the aesthetic experience the, there's clearly a, a, a lot of attention put into the visual thing in the, mm-hmm. in the piece that i watched with the the kind of ethereal feeling and the moving towards and the um so tell us about the jazz fusion group yeah, yeah, yeah. The Juju Exchange is a group of 
Chicago childhood friends. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so thankful to be in it with Nico Segal and Novazai. Novazai is my blood brother. Nico, my brother through music. Mm. And we've known each other since high school and came up playing in the jazz scene here in Chicago and have released various projects since having reconnected in the last couple of years. Uh, the latest one being this actual, this um, cluster of songs or tracks for yeah. people around what's ailing them. So yeah. you can give us a prompt about a pain in your life or a joy, and then we give you sonic medicine in return. And we're calling this project Jazz RX. So you can check that out. That yeah. uh, just came out, but sonic it's definitely medicine. awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's definitely a place to to really think futuristically about music, electronic sounds, uh, traditional acoustic jazz sounds. My brother Novazai invented and patented an instrument called Nova Portals that allows him to uh, create music without touching anything. And he has created these pods that sit around his drum set that he manipulates in all kinds of ways. It's really beautiful. So you, there's a lot of futuristic technology at stake. In this, um, but then also what we're really trying to do is create music that cultivates wonder and trust, which if uh, you're listening, you know, to the whole thing are great recipes for rest. So that is uh, a joy of mine. We've been around since 2017 yeah. and have tons of music on the way. So you can definitely check that oh, out anywhere you hear. get your yeah. music. Yeah. The, um, well, that has to do with like projects you're working on now and things that I'm sure you've got other bookings in terms of retreats and everything else. Yeah. So it, and again, I go back to this connection between um, vocation and I guess it's like, well, Parker Palmer or Beekner or other people would say, you know, the, the need of the world, right? The kind of the place mm -hmm. where you, where you are most yourself that, um, but the question we ask at the, at the end of most interviews is a question about hope. Um, so the, the question simply is what's giving you hope right now? And I could imagine that, um, <laughs> hearing the eschatological tones in, in, uh, there and, it is. The, and the reference to Moltmann and receiving and, but it also could be, you know, very, very practically what, so what, what gives you hope right now? Yeah. So part of it is exactly as you said, uh, what Moltmann helps me attune to in terms of what Christ has promised on faith that we will receive. And so that really is the deepest place for my hope. Practically, what gives me hope day over day is the ability to just witness amazing, amazing interactions around rest, around trust, around wonder that's coming through my work, um, through the work of my wife, um, you know, just hearing stories of kids getting better in hospitals mm. that she cares for. She's a pediatrician. Yeah. I mean, these these are practical stories of hope meeting people like y'all and oh, and meeting others around the country and beyond uh, who are intent on trying to think about different ways of living and trying to listen to the spirit. That gives me hope. Also being with the earth gives mm -hmm. me hope. Um, and I'm trying to really maximize that time as best I can. That's why here on my screen, I have a wolf and I have all these plants because it reminds me of where we're going. Um, and in fact, part of my daily ritual is when I'm brushing my teeth is to stand outside while doing it. I know I look great <laughs> to the neighbors awesome. <laughs> yeah. and it, and I repeat, I repeat to myself what's said on Ash Wednesday from dust, you came into dust, you shall return. Um, and looking at the soil as I do that is a, this powerful way of pointing to Genesis one Beautiful. of being part of. Adam. Beautiful. Oh, Thank you yes. so much. No. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to when you come back here to Vancouver. Yeah, well, we're hey. sure going to come back here <laughs> and no. teach and speak and, and, and you know, yeah. go on hikes and stuff. Yeah, no. Yeah. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much, Julian. I'm so encouraged by by how much you, you have reimagined rest. For, mm. for myself personally, I think for other people mm. that engage with your work, it's the same sort of feeling. I'm, it's it's not these, you know, pat answers. It's, it's so, it's so well thought out. It is so encouraging. It is so full of life. And it, it's, 
it's just, it's so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that, that I've had the opportunity to, to engage with your work and to chat with you again and yeah. monopolize you at lunch when we were at VST. I was just like, I'm going to selfishly <laughs> take this time. I'm just so appreciative of you. And, and I'm really, really grateful for, for the chance to have met you and encountered your work. Um, and I would 100% very much recommend anything that you touch. Yeah. So like for listeners <laughs> out there, buy the album, like look into notes of rest retreats right. that might be somewhere close to you. Or if you're part of an organization, contact Julian and book him. Like he's, he's great. Um, and we really want to bless you in your, in your yeah, future thank, work. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And, and, uh, you, you know, so we're, much. we're not close geographically, but uh, we're close in terms of, um, you know, call, vocation, yeah. vision, theology, yeah. and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, whatever company we have in the work and it's not it's not kind of despairing right it's it's not like yeah. a oh thank goodness there's somebody do it just it is hopeful Amen. and uh and so keep on doing what you are doing and we'll do the same and i know our our paths will cross um and we're it. very very grateful so blessings thank you kindly take, thank you. Care. take care much love Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>